Uh, Bibles open, please, Genesis 13. We're continuing our study through Genesis, and we're in chapter 13 this morning. Genesis 13. Anybody need a Bible? Yes, we do. Angela needs one up front, please. Beck, if you would. Somebody, couple Bibles. Thanks, Beck. Yeah, Genesis 13. I'm going to pick it right up at verse 1, and we'll read through the chapter, and then go back, as we have been doing lately, and uh, draw out some highlights and application for ourselves. Genesis 13, verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife or a quarrel between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Interesting little piece of additional information, which we'll talk about. So Abram said to Lot, now I'm reading New King James Version. I know ESV is very popular, um, and I will say that Most of the time, ESV does a really good job. They've let us down a little bit here because they did not include the word please, which is actually in the original text. Actually, originally it said, I pray thee. Or literally, it's, it's a, he's pleading gently with Lot. This is Abram. Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Why? Because we are brethren. We're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Please, separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere parenthesis, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Obviously, this was written after the fact. It was like the garden of the Lord. It was like the garden of Eden. It was like the land of Egypt that they'd just come from. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent as far as Sodom, or he pitched his tent near Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now. And look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west, for all the land which you see, 
I give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the oak tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. So interesting, just like last week, we see the account here bracketed by an altar, just like we saw last week. It's very interesting. This is the third time now that Abram has built an altar. It was a place of worship for him and his family. In verse 4, we talks about the altar, and then at the end of the chapter, we see again the altar. Let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, as we're going through this narrative in Genesis, that we're talking about a brother. We're talking about a man named Abram and his wife, Sarah, who are in the hall of faith, right? But they came to faith in God the same way you and I do. They came to believe in God and to trust him and to become his children by faith, right? As Eric mentioned, they were justified by faith, just as you and I are. Let me just throw Galatians chapter 3 up on the screen for you. For the sake of efficiency, I'll just do that instead of turning there. But it tells us here in Galatians 3, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. All right? That's Paul quoting Genesis 15, 6. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And then verse 29, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. Abraham is our forefather. Okay? We look to him and we can honestly relate to him. And so his walk of faith through this fallen world, we can, we can relate to him 100%. And that's why it's intensely interesting to read about his life. Now, in the text this morning, we have a gentleman named Lot. Okay? So I want to just introduce Lot to you because he plays a significant role in the story this morning. Okay, so actually flip back in your Bible to chapter 11, verse 27, and we'll see the first time that Lot is mentioned. It says, this is the genealogy of Terah, 1127. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. He had three sons. And Haran fathered Lot. Okay, Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay? So, Lot was born and raised in Ur, which, Ur, <laughs> right? Funny name. Um, it's over in modern-day Iraq, sort of in the birthplace of civilization. Okay? That's where he was born and raised. It was a very pagan city. He lived there with his dad, his grandpa, Terah, and his uncle Abram and his other uncle Nahor. His dad died. How old was that when that happened? We don't know. 
But he went through a fatherless upbringing to some extent, which is terribly heartbreaking. He was adopted by his grandpa because it tells us in verse 31 of 11, chapter 11, Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and they went out of Ur to the land of Canaan and they came to a place called Haran. There's a man and a people, person and a place called Haran. Don't get confused. So Lot was born and raised in Ur. His father died. At what age, we don't know. His grandpa adopted him. Then his grandpa died. He had a hard life. There's no mention of his mom. Apparently, I don't know what the deal was, why he didn't stay and, and live with his mom, but he didn't. I was a little bit afraid to talk about this, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of heartbreak and I think some of you are understanding that more than I am. But I know that the Lord's in this room and he has the power to heal and he knows every situation in your life, whether you've uttered it or not. And he loves you. Well, Grandpa died and then Abram adopted Lot. So he's kind of bounced around a little bit from, stayed within the, the bigger family, but he's always going with. It tells us here that Terah took Lot with him. And, and then in chapter 12, it says, verse 4, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken and Lot went with him. So he, he's generously been provided for by his grandpa and by his uncle. Um, it tells us here back over in chapter 13, just trying to get a bio here on Lot to understand the man, okay? But here in chapter 13, it tells us in verse 5 that Lot also, who went with Abram, the, up until this point, he's always going with, or he's always being taken and cared for by somebody else. He really hasn't ever lived on his own yet, but that's coming. That's part of the story here. It's really insignificant, okay? So Lot went with Abram. It says, excuse me, they had flocks and herds and tents. So my suspicion is that Abram uh, who also, we are told, was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. So Abram sort of gave Lot the seed money to start his own business. And from that, he apparently was a good businessman, and he was able to expand and develop his, his own little enterprise, comprised of various animals. And it said he had tents. It's an interesting way of saying that he had employees. So he had... He had a sizable operation going, but it was always, you know, sort of overseen or, and, you know, had the, the support of Uncle Abe, who was just a solid brother, solid man of God. Uh, eventually, Lot married. If you're not familiar with the story, keep coming back. We're going to get there in a few weeks, probably several weeks, but we'll discover that Lot gets married. Lot's wife. <laughs> 
four words, remember Lot's wife. Jesus said those words in Luke 17. Remember Lot's wife. We'll get there. But he got married, had some daughters, at least four that we know of. Two of them had married. He had sons-in-law. He had two daughters that were unmarried and were chaste, living in a very sexualized society. But they had kept themselves, and that was a really good thing. Um, eventually, Lot's wife died, and we'll get there. We'll hear about that, right? And um, he didn't end well. He actually kind of didn't end well at all. There was incest, there was alcohol involved, it was gross, and it was sad. That's Lot. Here's what might surprise you, because as I've described this man, standing back from a distance and you're listening and you're hearing this, the, bio, the bio of this man, you'd go, wow, I hope he becomes a Christian. No, no, he was. Put on the screen, please, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. It says, he rescued righteous Lot. Lot was a righteous man. Nobody's righteous. No, not one. Except through faith in Jesus Christ. Except through saving faith in God. Lot was made righteous by his faith. He's a brother. He's our brother. Lot died. He's in heaven. Okay? Peter tells us Lot, righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Lot was a believer, just as much as Abraham. Okay? Thank you, Peter, for reminding us of that. And that's where the lesson comes for us today. Abraham was a man who walked by faith, not by sight. Lot was a, a believer who walked by sight, not by faith as much. Okay? If Abraham is the prototypical, solid, godly, righteous brother that we want to follow and emulate, Abraham, or Lot would be the guy that's like, ah, <laughs> he would be a carnal Christian, a man who's not walking in the spirit, but he's walking according to the dictates of his own flesh and appetites. That would be Lot. And it kind of comes out here in the text, which I do my best to, to show you this morning. So to set, let's just read again, uh, let me point out to you a few things in the, in the beauty of the whole scene, as challenging it was for Uncle Abe and his nephew Lot, who had now been living together for a, a period of time. You know, the text doesn't tell us until we come to chapter 13. In verse 1, it says, Abram went up from Egypt and Lot with him. There it is again. And Lot with him. He's always tagging along, right? And I don't mean to make it sound like Abraham was just like, ah, oh, here comes Lot again. I don't know that, not necessarily. Abraham's a good guy, Right? What was Abraham doing in Egypt? Anybody? Those of you who were here last week, do you remember? Why did he go to Egypt? Famine, thank you. Ran out of food and water. And so he went 
down to Egypt because Egypt has the Nile River and it overflows and they irrigate and they had a lot of food. It was the breadbasket of the world. So Abraham took his wife Sarai and down to Egypt they go and Lot went with him. Now we didn't know that until we come to chapter 13 and it tells us that Lot comes back out with him. All right? So he's watched his uncle make a decision to go for food in a very well-watered, green, lush, productive, luxuriant, vibrant, growing world. Right? And so remember that because it kind of repeats itself here. When it's time to separate, Lot sees the valley of the Jordan down by the Dead Sea, which was very different back then. And it looks like what he experienced in Egypt. So Lot went with him, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, betweening Bethel, between Bethel and Ai. Now I'm going to make a point of this because it's very important to the, to the narrative, to the story, to the, to the power and the grace that Abram showed his nephew Lot. So Abram and Sarai, it says they came back to the beginning. Verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. If you weren't here last week, and even if you were, I'll remind you what happened. As Abram and Sarai, his wife, were going into Egypt... He'd been fairly silent during the trip, and just as they get to the border, and they've got to show their passports and do all this stuff to get entry, he says to his wife, you are drop-dead gorgeous. <laughs> and those are ungodly people in there, and they're going to they're gonna kill me to get you. So tell them you're my sister. It was a conspiracy. They lied. And it actually... His fears were true. They were founded on what he knew to be true because when they got there, everybody saw this beautiful woman and word went up to the Pharaoh who said, go get that woman. I want to make her part of my harem. And so once she entered into Pharaoh's realm, there's no way Abram could get her back out. There's no way. She's now under the most powerful man's on earth, under his, she's in that deal. And Abram's like, now what? God intervened. The intervention of God, the grace of God, in spite of Abram's knucklehead, stupid failure, his fear and his unbelief and his doubts, he's just a man like you and me. Remember, he's our brother. So you've got fears and doubts and unbelief. And they bother us and they make us say and do things we wish we didn't do, but we do. So Abram does that, but God intervenes and Sarah gets released and here they come back up out of Egypt through the Sinai and back into the promised land to the altar that they had built in the beginning. And he made a sacrifice. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, they learned two things from that little experience. They learned the hard things that come as a result of their unbelief in what God has said. And they learned the great things about God's goodness and faithfulness to them. 
And A plus B equals trust, equals worship. And when they came back to that altar, they made a sacrifice. They're like, we're burying the hatchet right here. We're back up in the land where God had called us to be. Let's forget about those things that are behind and not let them bother me any longer. They have a memory like you and I. And it's so easy to go back to that place and to let the devil take our failures and bring them up in our head and cause us great discouragement. So I just think that it was highly significant that they went back to the, the, the scripture makes a point to emphasize they went back, they went back home. They went back home, my brothers and sisters. It's like the prodigal running back home, broken with his tail between his legs. And he's just all talking about, I've took and I've ruined your name and I've wasted my life with drugs and alcohol and promiscuous living. I've been unfaithful and the father doesn't even want to hear it. When he sees his son come back, wanting to come back and wanting to come home, all the father can say is, my son was dead, now he's alive again. He was lost, he's found, let's have a party. We're not talking about that. Repentance puts it behind you. Repentance and faith. Own your sin. Confess it to God. And know that he, He's done with it. You're forgiven. And so I'm guessing that when Abraham and Sarah knelt down around that little heap of rocks or whatever it was they used in the altar, they just said, look, girl, look, babe. That's how I talk to Joni. Look, babe. <laughs> that stays in the room. I got to trust you on that one. Some of you get rides back to the campus and I get in trouble because you repeat stuff I said <laughs> about her. I don't care. You can tell her whatever. Look, babe, when we talk about this again, that little excursion into Egypt that costs us so dearly, We'll talk about it in a positive way. My God intervened on my behalf because he's put his promise on me and he is faithful. And we'll remember him and we'll remember the victory that he gave us, not the failure that we caused. That's how we're going to talk about this. Amen. That's highly, highly significant to the story. Abraham is a humbler, more trusting, more loving of God, for God bailing him out. And there you go. So, verse 5, here comes Lot. Lot also went with Abraham, had herds and flocks, and a quarrel broke out, it tells us in verse 7. Uh, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Is it just me, but when you read the last part of that verse, it's like, why do I need to know that? <laughs> that there's Canaanites and Perizzites in the land. Perizzites sound like bugs, don't they? Right? Why do we need to know that? Because I think it's very obvious. These men of faith, these believers, are living their lives in front of other people. Other people are watching. 
They've never seen real Christianity before. This Abraham and Lot and Sarah, they're the only ones. And so they're like, you want to know about the, this living God? Then watch these people. And so as they're watching these people, they're going, oh, look at that. They get in arguments and fight and just act like we do. And Abraham's burdened by that. You know, it's a fascinating when you read about uh, in uh, Jesus uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that they got into a boat to go to the other side, right? That's where the Lord calmed the winds and the waves. But it's fascinating because in Mark's account, it says Jesus got into the boat and there were other little boats around them. Fascinating. So people were watching what was going on in the boat with Jesus in it and the disciples who started freaking out because the Lord said, let's go to the other side, but it looks like they're going to drown. People are watching. The light of the world. It was salt and light. So there was this strife. Interesting that um, it was over possessions. Isn't that interesting? It was over, you know, getting more stuff really can be a bigger problem than having less stuff. Uh, Ken Hughes wisely said this. He said, we imagine that need and want will divide us. That makes sense logically, because it's like, I have need, you have it, so I'm going to come after you and get your stuff, right? We imagine that need and want will divide us, but it is not true. Believers who sense their need will naturally draw close to God and each other. Need produces a poverty of spirit that reaches up for help and out to one another. But assailed, interesting choice of words, but assailed by prosperity... Abram and Lot drew apart. We must consider ourselves forewarned as we prosper. Well said, can't use. The strife was over, over stuff. Now here's where it's so beautiful. And that's why I wanted to emphasize Abram's and Sarah's worship at that altar when they came back home. The forgiveness and the grace that they had received in their hearts from the Lord. Because look who initiates an action to resolve the problem. It's the only man on the planet who's got the, the favor of God specifically upon him. It's what God had said to Abram that was so significant in chapter 12. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, Abram. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth be blessed. So here's, uh, between Abram and Lot, we all know Abram is, he's the chosen one. And it's through him and in his family that God is going to bless and yet it's Abram who initiates a resolution, a, a reconciliation, a solution to the problem. Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that because of what Peter told us, that, Abr that Lot was a righteous man, he had like faith 
then that word, we are brethren or we are kinsmen, it's much deeper than just, hey, your dad was my brother and you're my nephew and I know I'm your uncle and blah, I don't know. No, we have the same God. And what's happening between us and between our employees is being lived out in the face of our people who are watching, who God loves, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. He wants them to see that he's alive and powerful. And so he says in verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Do you see the... What's the big word? Magnanimity? <laughs> How do you say that? Abraham's being very magnanimous. He's being very generous. The greater is serving the lesser. What Abraham did not say is, look, punk. <laughs> I've fed you. I've clothed you. I've cared for you at my expense all the way to Egypt and back. I've sheltered you. I've provided the seed money to start your business. You're doing great. Now, I think you need to leave, son. He did not say that. He came, and that's why I wanted to emphasize, he said, I pray thee, or please. He, he's approaching his brother with tenderness and gentleness, with kindness and humility. Where did he get that? Why did he use those words? Where did those words come from? They came from his heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Abraham is just expressing to Lot. These words in this man, his uncle and his brother in the faith is taking a, a, a position of, of less than and he's esteeming and these words are falling on Lot's ears, and he's experiencing this in real time. It came out of the abundance of Abram's heart. It came out of his worship with Jesus back at that altar when God showed him grace and forgave him for his blunder and his lying about his woman and actually delivering him and blessing him in spite of it all. And he comes back and he's just, he's just so thankful and he's so at rest in his own soul. It is well with his soul. He's like, I'm not here. I'm not here to hold on to stuff. Yeah, I got stuff. You got stuff. Bro, go. It's okay, Lot. Go, my bro. It's okay. I'm not, <laughs> I know, sorry. Those words, that action, came from God. It came from God, from his worship and his, his relationship with the living God. It's exactly what Jesus did. Are you washing my feet? Are you washing my feet? Yep. And what I'm doing right now, Peter, you don't understand. But you will afterward. That is after my resurrection. Then you'll know that I have forgiven all of your sin, Peter. And I have justified you. I've made you right with God. And I'm going to live with you forever, son. 
you'll never wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, we don't have anything in common. Peter was struck because Peter had given a testimony. You are the son of the living God. And the king has now assumed the role of a servant. Aren't those the words of Philippians that you are also familiar with? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. I'll put them on the screen for you. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And I'll stop it there. Right? Do you see it, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ, his very nature, was now on full display through Abram's act in his words to Lot. Oh, that's so beautiful. Abram has just had a close encounter with a living God through his brother, his brother Abram. Lot has had this close encounter. Those words fell on his ears. So we move forward in the story now as this Abram takes the initiative, right? He's acting properly and it says in verse 10, Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan. And the, and the language there more literally means he, he stared at it. It doesn't mean it's just a casual glance. He, he cast more than just his look. He cast a lot of intention. There was a lot already percolating inside of, was that a joke? There was a lot. Already. Anyway, he, ca- he lifted his eyes and he saw on the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot lived in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay. Uh, What was their sin? It might surprise you that we have texts in Ezekiel that tells us that they were pride. Pride. They were a proud people, the people of Sodom. That they were very prosperous and that they were self-indulgent. Oh, and yes, they were non-binary. Yeah. Like, they would enjoy sex with any person, regardless of gender. Okay? That was Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of that era. So Lot knew that. He knew that. See, Lot is a man who is, um, he is a believer. <laughs> My a dear brother, he's a believer, but he is, um, he's a carnal man. He lifted his eyes and he looked knowing that it was dangerous down there, the, the reputation of the people in that part of the world, that was pretty dangerous. Uh, the Lord tells us here that it was exceedingly wicked and sinful. It's the first time the word sinful is used in the Bible. Why? Why, are that, why is that pointed out? What, 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 what makes it so much more abhorrent, I guess. 
Because it was something they pursued, it was something they celebrated, something they were very dedicated to and defending. I know that from other scriptures. We'll get there. In Jude chapter, well, in the little New Testament book of Jude, it says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. So what I'm suggesting to you, my friends, and, I can, and I'll show you how I can defend this, is that Lot actually had an interest in the lifestyle of those people. And it's, you know, he, he first looked, and then he made a motion to get near. But go to chapter 14, verse 12. In chapter 14, verse 12, it says, they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who lived in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. So he started with a look, and then he took a step toward, and he sort of kept his distance for a time, but then he ended up becoming a citizen. He moved into town and lived in Sodom. And that's what Peter was referring to, that he vexed his righteous soul, tormented his righteous soul by the behaviors of those that lived around him, his righteous soul. So it often starts with a look, does it not? And then what? Are we going to click on that bait or not? <laughs> right? And then if we do, it's not long before we're in trouble. <laughs> uh, been there, we've all been there, we've done that. Right? Starts with a look. Ultimately, uh, in chapter 14, you know, Lot gets taken captive. Uh, some foreign armies come and ransack the little cities there, Sodom and the others, and Lot gets taken. Abraham rescues him. And you would think at that point, Lot would say like, thanks, you know, sort of like his uncle coming back up out of Egypt. You'd think he'd go, oh man, I'm done with that. But no, he went right back to Sodom, lived there again, and actually got involved in politics. Yep, sat in the gate of the city where all the legislation and decisions were made. Yeah, I just went deeper and deeper into the lifestyle there as a believer. Look, is it wrong to go to places of ill repute? Absolutely not. Not if you're going with the right motive. Not if you're going with the right intention. You must be sent with God and you've got to be full of God. Be full of the Holy Spirit. So that when you go, you, you've got perspective and you've got God's love just pulsating through your mind and he's giving you the ability to, to live there without tormenting your soul. But you see, Lot was putting a foot in each side of the world. He goes, I want to enjoy a little bit of the, well, I don't want to see what's going on over here. And at the same time, I want to just kind of, you know, not get too involved. And I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that when, the, that when Lot went to, towards Sodom, and he knew what he was getting into. Remember, he's got Abraham's ears and behavior. He's just fallen gently upon his soul. He's experienced the grace and the love of God, and yet he's following. When he moved towards Sodom, he's really kind of moving away from God. It's very fascinating to me that when you come to Luke and, and Jesus gets arrested, Luke 22, there's a very interesting verse. It says, Peter followed him from afar. Isn't that interesting? Are you following Jesus from afar? 
because you don't want to get too close because that would mean he might convict you of the stuff you're doing secretly. It's fascinating. Peter followed from afar. You know what he did next? He warmed his hands at the fire of the world. And then the next thing that happened is he's like, I don't even know that man. He's denying that he knows him. And then praise the Lord, the next thing that happened, he's weeping bitter tears because a rooster crowed. And he got, I'm busted. I got to get out of here. No, it's not wrong for a Christian to go to a bad place. But you got to be called by God and you got to be filled with God. You know what I think? I think if Lot had gone to Sodom and built an altar and just worshipped publicly, he and his wife that we haven't met yet and his kids and just lived a life for Jesus, they would have had a powerful effect. He ended up getting mocked at the end. Nobody believed him. Even his own family was like, you're joking, right? Come on, Dad, you're joking, right? What do you mean the, the, the judgment's coming? He lost his witness. He's in heaven. You know, you go, okay, well, if he goes to heaven, then what's the difference? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, is that the way you want to live? You want to you forfeit the joy and the peace? He tormented his soul. That man could not sleep well at night. He, he, was, he was full of anxiety and he was full of constant attack from the enemy, of course. You want to forfeit your, the grace and the peace of God that he offers you to live in? Don't do it, brothers and sisters. It's fascinating to me. For the first time in his life, here in chapter 13, verse 10, Abraham said, you know what, Lot? For the first time in your life, make your own choice. You've been with Grandpa. You've been with me. Now it's time to stand on your own two feet and have your own private, personal witness. He chose poorly, <laughs> as the old saying goes. It was a decision that he would regret. He didn't have to live in it. He could have repented and come back out at any old time. But I'm telling you, brothers, do you see what I'm saying? He started by looking, he moved toward, and then he moved in. And then in spite of the captivity, he goes back. And he gets even more deeply involved. And it seems like there's just a, a real truth there. If I don't deal with it, it's going to take me captive. I'm going to become a slave to this thing that I will not crucify with Christ because I like it. I like hating people. I'm just speaking. That's, you know, I'm not, it's not true of me. Well, I guess it is true of me. Let's be honest. It's really easy to get an attitude and cause strife in my heart. You got to make a choice like Abraham did to come alongside and say, no, man, how can I serve you? I've told you this story before, I think some of you may have heard, but working in the city of Rochester, New York, years ago, 
in a managerial role, and I had a salesman that, and I came out of sales. I went into management. I knew sales. I knew his job. I was really good at it. He was better, and he knew it. And I'm the manager. And he knew he could not only outsell me, he also knew he could outmanage me. He was really, really sharp. I felt threatened by him because I was new in this role and I was insecure and I hated him. <laughs> I'm like, if so, I got to figure out a way to get rid of this guy, <laughs> except he's making us lots of money. And I wrestled with a long time, months, year or more. And finally the Lord broke through and he said, find a way to serve Daryl. That changed everything. It changed everything. It changed our relationship to one of respect and love and peace in my heart. I no longer felt threatened. And now it, it, God changed it. God changed me. And he brought, he reconciled. He reconciled Abram and Sarah. He, he healed their marriage back at the altar as he saved them. He loves you, people. He loves you. He's in the ministry of reconciliation, and it comes through owning your own failure and confessing it and, and realizing, I need you, Lord. I need you because I'm so prone to wander. I can pitch a tent near Sodom any day of the week. Multiple times during the day. The temptations are all around us. The chats and the snaps and the grams and all the stuff that comes your way instantly. Turn away. It's interesting. Paul in his last letter, 2 Timothy, he said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Isn't that interesting? He didn't, Paul didn't say because he loves the world. He said having loved this present world. There's another world. There's the kingdom of God. It's full of God and his majesty and his glory and light. There's no sin or darkness or death. And it's pure and holy. And joy abounds and grace and love and mercy. And the, and the presence of Jesus is there. Surrounded by all of the believers. Descended from Abram. Including you and me. But Demas cast his eyes. He, he loved this present world. Isn't that interesting? Lift up your eyes. It's your first chance to make a choice for yourself, Lot. Didn't go well. He would regret it for the rest of his life. It couldn't be more clear. Now hear me on this as I close up. It couldn't be more clear. Loving God, now hear this. Loving God and surrendering your life to Him will help you make decisions in life. Lot was a righteous man. But it seems like he followed God from a distance. He's always being taken in, and he's always with. But it's like, press in, Lot. 
Loving God and surrendering yourself to Him will help you make decisions in life. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy to make decisions. I'm not suggesting that at all. But when I have experienced, and when you have experienced, His amazing faithfulness, great is Thy faithfulness, Lord. And you have just personal times of deep soul-to-soul, heart-to-heart communion where you pour out your soul to the Lord in private prayer or in fellowship with one another. Then it brings a rest and it brings a comfort and it brings a confidence to our lives that I may not know what the next step is right now, but I know he's with me. I know he'll never forsake me, that he's faithful. And as I pray and read and seek his mind, I will get the wisdom and the understanding I need to navigate my next steps. Amen. It means looking inside and considering honestly, what am I pursuing? If Lot had just taken a moment... And if he had just said to himself, <laughs> he's just like a, no, I won't go there. But he, he sees the place, he knows the area. If he had just taken a moment and said to himself, why do I want that? Now that's a really, really good question. What are you going after? Why are you pursuing that? I mean, you could argue, okay, well, Uncle Abe made a decision to go to Egypt. Yeah, because there was a famine. You're not in a famine, son. You're actually doing pretty well. You don't need to go there. Why do you want to do that? It's a really good question to ask yourself. Why am I so interested in getting to that place or being with that person? Haggai says it so well. The little prophet Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What are the motives of your heart, really? And I think if Lot had been honest and taken a step back, got his eyes off of the temptation, and just said, I want, I've got wealth, I want more. I've got an interest, actually, in the sexual behaviors of the people in that area. Sort of just would kind of want to see what that's all about. Some think that he married his wife that she was a sodomite. She was a, a, a woman from Sodom. There's no mention of a wife here until he gets into Sodom. That's when it says, that's when it appears. I, you know. So that's about the much time as we have. Um, I just want to point out one thing in verse 14. The, list, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated, lift up your eyes. <laughs> what a beautiful contrast. And look around, Abe. Yeah, you see the, the topography. You see the Mediterranean. You see the Dead Sea. You look up north, there's, there's Mount Hermon. You look down south, you got the whole lay of the land. It's more than that, Abe. It's, not, it's more than just this land. Because three times in those verses, he mentions his offspring. He mentions the seed, the descendants that will come from 
his own marriage from his own biological offspring. And it's way, way beyond just the one child that he actually bore. Abraham believed by faith. God said, take a look. Faith sees the unseen. Amen? So I guess probably the best thing, the way to close this up is to say, maybe you should make a decision for yourself this morning. <laughs> Amen? Don't you think? That makes sense. Choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? Going to serve yourself? Or are you going to surrender and you're going to serve the Lord? All men are at strife with God. And God has made a way to peace, and it's through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. If you know Jesus Christ, you're saved. You're saved from yourself, and you're now a son and a child and a daughter of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Abraham demonstrated Jesus. And I'm saying to you, you've seen it, you've heard me preach it. Give your life to the Lord today. Not so you can get a better job or get a girl or get a guy. Because he'll fill you up. He will make you rich. That is immaterial. And he'll give you amazing commodity of peace and of joy and less anxiety or no anxiety. So desperately needed in this world. I was in fellowship this week with some brothers and at two different occasions, totally separate from each other, dear brothers of mine. And I heard on two different occasions something that's coming. And they both mentioned it and I think it struck a chord with me and it's like, yep, I think we're all aware of that and there's a little bit of fear. You know what it is? The next election cycle. Yeah, it's coming. It's not good. It's just toxic. And division and lines get drawn and you red or blue or independent or he's a, she's a, it's horrible. It's going to divide the church or not. People are watching. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I don't know why I went there, but... <laughs> Make a decision for the Lord today. Deuteronomy, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life in length of days. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. He is your life in length of days. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can't do anything. With me, we can do anything. Abide in me. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the richness of your word. Here we are in Genesis, and I feel like we're in Matthew or in the epistles. It's because 
you're one. I thank you, Lord. I pray that you would impress upon the hearts of everyone here today how good you are and that that would create a change and it would help us in our worship of you and help us in our decision-making and in fighting against sin that so easily stumbles us and that you'd get the glory and there'd be greater witness and we pray it all in your name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>